let's force a Philip on the track, you know. Sometimes when people be casting spells, you just gotta tell them like it is. Tapping all your mana cause you're casting a spell Double checking on your colors making sure they look swell But then your senses slip some dangerous familiar smell I tap my pair of islands and then I flash my counter spell I said eight cast affinity more like eight force of wills I got the blue cost of pitch and the instinct to kill Try to melt out my board while I'm clearing my throat And I'll counter your spell and simultaneously say no 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 Try to flip your Delva, trigger stays on the stack. Predicting away your card, I'm a fortune teller who's cracked. Packing all this kind of magic, yeah, you can call me the goat. Blast on traps, on reps back up while I am straight telling you no. Be treating the angels, what it do? Force and fill, my force of negation, encapsulating all the haters who waiting as I bait them to play around daisies, but they miscalculating. Cause while they straying, I'm staying to prey on a man, I tell them no. I straight up tell them no. Oh, wait one second, no, no, no. Straight up, tell them, no, no, no. Cast whatever spell you want, I'll hit it with force. Triple Mystic Sanctuary lays you down in the morgue. Looping cards out of the yard, absorb your salt, ignite some spark. Draw your cards, go for broke. Try to combo, I'll tell you no. Getting frisky with your mana, but in response, I'll make a stamina. And when you say that I got lucky, in response, your deck is clunky. Suck this up, but that's what you do. Confirm suspicions, get a clue. Veil of summer, that's so cute. Swans are singing, flock of tutus. Loading up the stack like we was making some nachos. Fluster storms are coming, best be grabbing your poncho. If you try to come at me and then you acting all macho, I'ma slip through space up in your face and lick my lips and tell you straight, no, no, no. Straight up tell you no, no, no. Uh, wait one second, no, no, no. I straight up tell you no, no, no. Straight up tell you no, no, no. Uh, wait one second, no, no, no. I'm just saying, if they be casting up tell you no, no, no. You gotta tell them like it is. No, 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 no. They ain't resolving no spells. Uh, wait one second, no, no. I straight up terminus the shit out of your board. I straight up tell you terminus the shit out your board. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? What is up, dude? We're talking about some winners and losers of Kamigawa today. I'm, I'm, dude, I, it's nice to be able to have an episode like this where we can reflect a little bit on things that we thought were good, things that didn't pan out the way we thought. Man, was that set really good. Like, when we were looking back on it, it was really good. Anyway, I'm disrupting the intro. Keep going. Just what you said. Like, this is sort of a sunset episode for Kamigawa. We're, we're like a week away from the beginning of spoilers. So we thought we'd look back at Kamigawa and, uh, and see what they did right, what they did wrong. We got five losers we've got 10 winners and we'll just kind of go over the cards that we loved and hated from the set so let's start with the losers as we go through these there are a lot of winners look obviously kamigawa had a much a, a huge impact across a bunch of formats we decided that to to keep this tight we're only going to be talking about legacy so even though yeah. a bunch of cards that are losers in legacy may have found homes in pioneer or modern and kamigawa made those formats awesome like if you haven't played pioneer recently pioneer is fantastic right now but we're only going to be talking about legacy first things first we're going to go into the big hitter mainstay headliner from the set and that's Jinja Taxes. So Jinja yeah. Taxes five mana, uh, seven mana, five, five does a whole bunch of relevant text but Grizzlebrand exists. Grizzlebrand exists. 
Yeah, well, Grizzlebrand exists. I expected to see this as maybe a one of in like Reanimator, and this card just didn't. It did. It, 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 it won the one. You know, it won the one. Yeah. Uh, it, it. I think that a five five just isn't big enough. If this was slightly bigger. Maybe, maybe it would have seen a little bit of play, but um, five five ain't enough. The ability is is cute, but like you already have that in Chancellor of the Annex and stuff like that. So I think uh, you know if you want to play a, a card that's not Grizzlebrand, you're playing Archon of Cruelty now. Like they're playing four yeah. Archon of Cruelty, and like maybe yeah. an Angel Serenity here or there. That, they're that not is, Grizzlebrand yeah. targets. You kind of nailed it there. It's like not only is it not Grizzlebrand, but also the best things since Grizzlebrand that were printed are Modern Horizons cards. Yeah, and to compete with Modern Horizons cards, like. Man, Jindataxis text is really powerful. Like countering stuff or like costs nothing, just like it sits on the table and is this static, really powerful ability. It's just one, it's it's just another one of those cards that's like on the very tall stack of like if the best thing that they've ever made and will ever make in Grizzlebrand didn't exist, how many other things would get the call? And it's pretty clear that at this point it's the Modern Horizons two cards, and then maybe Jindataxis would be in that mix in some capacity. But now you also have Hullbreaker Horror that would like is yeah. like the 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 successor to um Tide Spout Tyrant. Tyrant. So yeah. there, there's a lot of different ways that Reanimator could play, and it will just never know because Grizzlebrand is in the format. Yeah. So yeah, number five, Jinkataxius. Number four, Eater of Virtue. You know, I thought I thought this card being a one-mana artifact might have seen a little bit of a little bit of a tick somewhere. Like, you know, because Urza Saga exists, you can get it with Urza Saga. People just don't care. So everybody who's curious, the Eater of Virtue is the one-mana legendary sword that cares about legends. The legendary aggro deck with Yoshimaru, when it first popped up, when the set first came out, I thought that that may have had some, some legs. That card hit really hard. Not many decks are really prepared to just get blitzed like that like it reminded me very much of madness like the madness style vengevine deck yeah. but that deck can all that deck can be hated out more reasonably because if you just fight over the led the deck just doesn't really do anything whereas the aggro like the legendary aggro deck was just an authentic like play cheap creatures they're huge turn them sideways get in there beat you and i thought that like maybe it would wedge a spot in the in the format as just being able to like have uncontested kills on turn three potentially with a with fast aggro draws consistently but what ended up happening is like the only aggro deck that really came out of uh kamigawa was like the black white humans deck like the humans deck just evolved to just be black white and and, and gained one of the legendary lands in aganjo as part of its its sweep but yeah once that legendary creature aggro deck sort of petered out it seemed like this was just gonna end up never making it yeah uh all right number three for losers tezzeret betrayer of flesh it it pains me that this that this card wasn't good enough yeah. i have tried it for what it's worth i have tried it in legacy i tried playing it in a 4x retrofitter deck because you want to be able to maximize its static ability of giving you a two mana discount on your first artifact activation so if you can leverage that on both your turn and your opponent's turn you're netting four mana a turn and i thought the most effective way to do that in an because you're obviously have to play an Urza Saga shell if you're going to be able to play Artifacts and Legacy, that Retrofitter Foundry being able to net four mana every turn cycle with the Tezzeret on the table would be a way to abuse it. But what Tezzeret's other abilities, it, you really want to be able to leverage the draw of draw two, discard a card if it's an artifact or two. So it's essentially DAC, but has an artifact skew. But the real power point behind it is that it ultimates at uh, six loyalty. So it comes in, goes to five, then goes to six, and then ultimate. So it's two turns, and then the ultimate is just flat unbeatable. It's whenever an artifact is tapped, you draw a card. Taps for any reason. So it's like, if you can get to that point, that is something to build around, right? Like that's an ultimate to build around. The problem is that that really skews you to wanting to play a control shell. The 
the combination of wanting to play good control cards that are like actually playable and good artifacts, all of the artifacts don't signify play a control deck. And even in that scenario, like in a control shell, you're probably, because your artifacts, right, you're probably playing Baleful Strix, which doesn't get any bonus from uh, his static ability, right? And that static ability to me just reads as something that you you should try and abuse if you're going to play it. Yeah. And that we just have, I, I just can't find something, especially because it's every turn and not just your turn, right? So I haven't found any artifacts that like really do it for me that are like, pay one mana, draw a card, you know, pay two, pay four mana, draw a card or something like that that doesn't tap. There's just nothing that's like that hits that, that, that rate. And I feel like this card might, we might see this card later on when they print an artifact that has a repeatable ability mm -hmm. that costs like two mana and that you can activate every single turn. I don't know. I think I think this card has legs, but it, it's it's time is just not right now. It's not right now. I mean, I will say that like one thing that also threw me is the static sees the whole turn. So like you can't use artifact mana and then also get the benefit after you've put them onto the board. So if you tap like a Mox Opal or a Seed of the Synod to cast it, you, you've already activated an artifact for the turn. So you won't get the discount immediately. So that hindered it and it, it discounts artifacts which technically means that it's an artifact in play not an artifact card yeah. because there is something like moon snare prototype that is an artifact that you could channel but because if it discounted that channel because it's an artifact but it's in hand that would be big game right yeah. if i could play this and then still have like a, a an uncounterable removal spell in my hand to protect it that's huge but because it doesn't do that and because it sees the whole turn there were a lot of like after the fact uh hiccups with the card but i agree i mean what i ran into when i was testing it was i found that it's not more powerful than urza saga obviously right but urza saga when you lose the land and setting yourself back a land drop, if you don't use Urza Saga to get a Mox Opal or something to make up that mana loss, I mean, I was using it to get Retrofitter Foundry because that was the point of the deck. But if you don't get a mana source, now you set yourself back a land and all of a sudden that four drop is a lot further away. So it doesn't play, it plays well with Retrofitter Foundry, but it doesn't play well with Urza Saga. So there's a tension yeah. in that kind of deck building that I, I, I really struggled to make work. The thing is, is that like as powerful as Tezzeret is, it's not more powerful than Urza Saga. So it's never going to be able to like compete for that slot. So you really have to skew your deck. And so it pushed it further and further down into what we have as the losers category. But I, I really do hope that there are tools printed for it to come around because yeah. that ultimate is insane. It's Retrofitter insane. Foundry is probably the best version of, of a card that works really well with this. It's just like a little too expensive to like really get in there with it. It's a little too yeah. grindy too. Uh, I think Retrofitter Foundry is great in Death and Taxes and in uh, Eight Cast where uh, you can you can really use it to its to its best advantage. But if you're just using it as like a win condition in a deck it, it, that doesn't actually exist already, it just doesn't do all the things it needs to do just yet. We're, we're very close with this card, but it's not it's not there yet. What we have found is that like they're willing to start exploring. They, they've shown that they're willing to explore a lot more with Planeswalkers, like Flash on the Wandering Emperor and static abilities in general, becoming just like part of what walkers are. They just have static abilities now. Yeah. I think one thing that eventually we'll get to is exploring with multiple card types on Planeswalkers. There's been multiple times between Karns and Tezes where they could have had a be yeah, legendary artifact, artifact right? Planeswalker, yeah. in which case it's way better because now you have all the artifact synergies that go with it, but then it's also susceptible to artifact hate. Yeah. So like if Null Rod is on the table, not being able to activate your Planeswalker is a pretty big downside That's too. That's rough, yeah. Um, they, they also had the opportunity with Tamiyo in uh, Tamiyo Completed from this set where it could have been an artifact because of Phyrexia, but they haven't dipped into that space yet, but it's clearly design space that's available to them. Coming and I'm in. curious coming in, if yeah. they go with that. And Tezzeret would obviously be a really powerful way to go with that. So we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number two is Satoru Umazawa. So again, for Legacy, 
This one was just a meme in Legacy. It didn't yeah, actually it, pan out to be good enough. There's not really much to, I don't have much to say on this guy. There's I mean, really not a lot to say, yeah. Obviously a haymaker in EDH, like you play this and everybody knows exactly what you're doing and has to kill it on site. And I have that I'm, deck. It's 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 fun, but like, I don't know. My my play group isn't all about like throwing a Blightsteel Colossus in someone's face. So I, I don't I don't yeah. play it that much. What I found about like Satoru, like the, the ability, the pay, paying off the ability by putting just a large fatty into play, it's like, it reminds me of every time I've ever played Show and Tell, the gameplay always feels exactly the same every yeah. time and it gets boring pretty quickly. But some people really enjoy doing that. So, you know, I mean, yeah. this ended up being a meme and, you know, you may run into it at an FNM, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's just less good than Show and Tell. Right. Yeah. All right. Number one is Sakenzin, Crucible of Defiance. Yeah. So this is part of the legendary land cycle. Obviously, the legendary land cycle is probably the biggest hits from this yeah. set in terms of legacy playability. This one hasn't stuck, and it, it's it's interesting. There were a bunch of dials that they could have turned, and it would have easily made legacy in some capacity. So the one ones are spirits. Yeah. I remember uh, Goblin Lackey One on Twitter was right? was upset yeah. because they could have been goblins. They could have been had goblins. They, had they been goblins, it would have been a Shuren lock for at least the goblins deck. I also wondered if the Legends deck could have branched into this as well as a way to just make more bodies and get it on the cheap because yeah. this is one of the more expensive lands. It costs four mana at a channel, but it still has the discount clause. So it's possible that had it found a home with more legends in it to like spew one ones. I wonder if there's ever going to be like an aristocratian style deck with enough legends to support this as a way to just make cheap bodies. Yeah. It's possible because the fact that once you go in above two, well, you can play two of a legendary land for the most part. And it's close to free if you're not worried about wasteland because yeah. the first one you get, it, it, it just is an untapped land. And it, at all points of the game, so it's fine. And then the second one, hopefully you can convert for its spell. So if you're playing anything beyond the second, you're really interested in the effect as part of your strategy. And I kept thinking about Sakenzin as, as something for aristocrats, but you really need to get the discount. Like four mana for two one ones, even if it's uncounterable, isn't that great. Yeah, not you, need, you need a way to get it down to one to two mana, which means that you really need to be in Legends to have some kind of Legend density. And there's just no deck like that exists, so it just never found a home. I do appreciate that it's an instant... Uh, and it's uncounterable so that you can like, you know, flash it in and kill a Jace or something like that. We're already ready for that kind of stuff. Like how many times have you, have you uh, bounced a creature and then someone's like, okay, well, I'll flash in my Snapcaster and kill your Jace, you know, like, so. Yeah, I, the, the I, format I just, is also so much faster now that like, yeah. it's like any, any walker that's not three mana and specifically the ones that have like relevant static abilities, like taking down walkers has never really been easier. Yeah. Narset and Teferi are, are special because their static abilities prison your gameplay. So it's like, they, that's, they fight on a whole different axis. But for the most part, like taking it on a Jace, I feel like is easier than it's ever been. And I play a lot of Jace, so I would know. Okay, so that is our uh, losers from the set. Let's talk about our winners. And I guess we'll start with, yeah, there we got, we got 10, 10 winners and one honorable mention. And I think, I think everybody kind of agrees with me here. Those woodcut basics, man, honorable mention to those woodcut basics. They just look so good. The full art basic lands and my local shop, if anybody's playing, like I play altered basics, like I have my altered basics and I'm sticking with them forever, but like I would. These are pre-altered basics. Yeah. If I didn't have altered basics, these are the ones that I'd go with. And everybody that I know at my shop, all is on these lands. I think so nice really really hard to for another set to come out with lands that are more beautiful than the full arts from this one if i could say one thing though 
Loser of these lands is the uh, the red swamp that looks like a mountain. The, oh, oh, the one with uh, <laughs> like in the city and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I saw somebody. Um, somebody had shared a like a variant of it where instead of the color being red, they skewed it. They like color shifted purple, it purple or something. Yeah, yeah. And so it, fit, it it looked really really nice. I mean, either way, it's, it's a stunning land. I, yeah, they all look great. Thing. They all look great. Just that one, I, I looked at and was like, is this a mountain? Yeah. What's going on? I same thing. I, I remember somebody also photoshopped it and just wrote Badlands instead of swamp. <laughs> and it was like. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So let's talk about number 10. And that is the premium cards from the collector set. I just, I, I really appreciate that they have made cards that are excessively expensive as like a lottery ticket. We're playing, we're playing legacy. Sometimes you just want to open a lottery ticket and trade it for a dual land. And that exists. Like you can get premium, uh, Hidetsu. Hidetsugu. Hidetsugu? Yeah, you can get the Hidetsugu. premium Hidetsugu. I, and it's I'll like $1,500. One thing that's really great about these particular promos, there's the promo versions that are worth absurd dollars for collectors, but then you also have the version that's like 75 cents. This card is not worth anything other than like, there is a very limited number of the alternate versions of it out there yeah. and thusly the, our, our collector's items. This is an experiment. They're going to up the rate of these things, I feel like, as sets come around. But that's great because I like to I like to pick up a, a couple collector's boosters, occasionally a whole box when a set comes out. Just as like, oh, can I open like the lottery? I opened a Phyrexian Jenga Taxis foil. Sick. That's $100. I spent 30 bucks on a pack. I got $100. Plus I got a bunch of other stuff. Amazing. That's that's cool. I love I love Cratchy Lotto like ability on that. That is almost gambling, but you can actually play with these cards too. I mean, functionally, it is gambling, right? Like if you're yeah. buying packs totally to crack them, it is gambling. What I appreciate about these particular promos about being collector's items is that they are solely that. There's nothing about them that it, it changes gameplay uh, at all. There's nothing about it that it's like, oh, if you really want to play a deck, you're priced out because yeah, only no, they, you can get the cheaper one. It's great. That's the way to do collector's yeah. things. It is entirely luxury for the sake of it. And that's it. It doesn't hinder your ability to play the game. You can still have your toys and it's fine. It is entirely aesthetic luxury. And that's the way to do promos because then yeah. everybody, everybody wins. If you're a collector and you collect it, you did it. You achieved your, your you unlocked the achievement. Yeah. But if you just want to play, you can do that too without having to worry about your bank getting busted or just being priced out of that deck entirely. It's, if, it's good, that it's it good for the card. player. It's good for the collector. And it's it's also good for wizards because more people are going to buy packs trying to trying to get that stuff. So home run, uh, home run all around it's, it's a home run all around. Number Nine bank buster, come at me. You, I, I have not seen this in any <laughs> lists at all. I'm amazed that this that you put this on our list. I'll so, let you take the reins of this. So our boy from MGO, uh, MTGO, uh, punishing waterfalls has been playing this in a uh, like Shurikai blue white build, and it, it's been overperforming. It looks like I, I've been playing it in uh, an EDH too. It's just a solid like put two mana in there, and then pay two mana, draw a card, draw a card, and then it's just pumping out one ones. And that is almost good enough, in my opinion, to be played with Tezzeret, because then you're just tapping it every turn to draw a card. And then when you run out of counters, you're just making one once. So like that, I, I think that this card is really interesting. It just feels good enough, good enough to see play in, in a lot of decks. And if you're playing a deck with like Wrath Effects, that's great. You're going to eventually get there with this card because it's making, it makes pilots and then you can even pilot it to, to finish the game off. You probably won't. You probably just keep making pilots, honestly. Poor went out for JM Day Tome, am I right? 
right? Like, yeah, it's done. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, the idea of putting it with Tez, <laughs> like my experience playing Tez, I played it for a while, trying to make it work. My issue with you could play it with another card like that is like you already have to do so much work to yeah. make Tez good that also having to do work to make Bankbuster good. I mean, maybe it was just a meme, like Punishing Waterfalls, Not maybe he crushed it. I don't know. Maybe he found the hidden gem and nobody else has piled onto it yet or tried to tune it, but... It seems like this one's too much work. It's a little, yeah, it's a little bit of work for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, but I that's mean, a shout out. That's a shout out to Punishing Waterfalls. Anyhow, uh, I would love to check, out wrong, con- yeah. check out his content because he, he's he's making some really cool decks and uh, sharing them on YouTube. Anyhow, so I think actually he might have. Was he on Leaving a Legacy like a week ago or something like that too? What, what Some, somebody just interviewed him just recently too. You know, if he's got a cool deck list or any other deck list, I mean, you should probably check out Moxfield. Yeah, indeed. You should check out Moxfield. Moxfield.com is a great deck building website. So you can share your deck list there. Works on your PC or your Mac. It also works without an app on all of your mobile browsers as well. It's a great place to share your uh, EDH decks. It's also a great place to share your legacy decks at. Check out the link below, moxfield.com. Join up, share your decks. It's that simple. Number eight, Lion Sash. Nothing really to say also about this one. This was one of the rare instances where everybody unanimously recognized that this card was going to be playable in exactly one way, and that's with Stoneforge Mystic, and then it was exactly playable in exactly that way. Yep, and it, that was it. it. It's like, exa- that, that, this card is the textbook version of expectations met. It, it was neither better nor worse than anybody thought. It was exactly what everybody thought it would be. It's a solid number eight on the list. Perfect for the number eight <laughs> slot. Yes, perfect for the number eight slot. All right, let's talk about Moon Circuit Hacker at number seven. All right, man, let me tell you, I have been on a ninja kick. A ninja kick. I love that deck. I love playing ninjas. It is great. (laughs) One thing that I found about the deck as I was playing, I was like, man, those slots are tight. Like that deck is so tight with with what it needs because it needs so many different things. It needs the enablers. It needs the payoffs. But then the payoffs are all things that draw cards. So you want to be able to have cards to draw to that matter that aren't just more enablers or more payoffs that just draw more cards, but then don't give you any other access to do anything else. It is very constrained in like where you can get any additional stuff that isn't one mana cards that can attack safely with evasion versus putting an Ophidian into play. Like it's just a bunch of enablers and Ophidians and that's it. So finding any ways to pay that off is really difficult. But Moon Circuit Hacker being an Ophidian ninja or it's essentially a ninja of the deep hours that comes into play for one mana off of ninjutsu instead of two is huge. Yeah. The difference between one and two mana on turn two, when you're at, when like, let's say you play an evasive creature on turn one, you want to be able to get a ninja in on turn two. Ninjutsu gets around counter magic, but the fact that you get to put this in off one mana means that you can have potentially have one mana interaction protected after you've ninjutsu the creature back. Or on that same turn, if you have a second mana source, you have ninjutsu in your moon circuit hacker. You've drawn a card, and now you can redeploy that yeah. same one drop that you had to continue rolling on getting more ninjas into play without having to play shit like Ornithopter. Like Ornithopter, the problem with Ornithopter is that it's just the evasive creature, but it's, it does yes, nothing else. It's not great, yeah. We'll pop it up over here, but uh, answer my question for me. Fairy Guidemother is is a is a one drop, right? What yeah, is so the what, what is the uh, the adventure for it? Is that a, is that one drop as well? No, the adventure is a sorcery speed one to white that gives a creature one plus two plus okay. one in flying. I tried out a blue white ninjas list essentially because it's a one mana enabler. I wanted good removal and source of plowshares, and then the adventure allows your creatures to continue hitting through combat. Yep, and then you get to play an enabler again. So it kind of did everything that I wanted, and then it paired really nicely with Felstunder Sprite, which is just one of the payoffs, if you will, of playing ninjas because you yeah. get to pick up a counter spell all the time. It's fine, like it, it's a good roll 
gold player, but it has the same problem in that it's just not a legacy power level card. Like that's the problem with ninjas. You have to play a bunch of underpowered, not legacy playables in order to enable legacy playables. Yeah. And those legacy playables are only good if they're enabled. But I mean, I think that's why the deck is so interesting is because there's so much push-pull that you have to try and navigate fine in both deck building and gameplay. And there's so many decisions that you get to make in gameplay because you have to care about every single step in combat because you can ninjutsu anytime an unblocked attacking creatures happen, pre-damage, post-damage, end of combat, there's a ton of different things. When you pick stuff up, you can interact in between in between those steps. It's really interesting. Yeah. Combinations with first strike and all that stuff. Moon Circuit Hacker in particular lore just enables your turn twos so much better. And because it's a one-mana ninja that you can put into play off a ninjutsu, it means that you can sort of move your deck a little bit closer to days, which the deck had, you know, if you look at some ninjas list, there would be like two days, maybe three days, maybe no days at all. And a lot of it because... If you're playing days, you're picking yourself up a land, and that's setting you back on being able to really put both ninjutsu ninjas into play and be able to continue playing enablers to continue ninjutsuing. It's so, the conundrum that 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 deck has to has to struggle with. Yeah, it's the conundrum. So Moon Circuit Hacker lopping a mana off of its ninjutsu really opens up your turn twos in a way that no other ninja has before. And it may be less powerful than the other ninjas. Like it doesn't trigger on every ninja that hits the way Inf Infiltrator does or the way um, Eureka does. But solely for the fact that it opens up your turn twos to have so much more possibilities means that it, it really progresses that deck in a way that I think is substantial. Now, granted, I don't think the deck is ever going to be in a position above tier two five, right? Like yeah. it's, it's, it's a tribal role player deck. It's not doing, it has no combo finish. It's, it's going, it has to attack. It has to be done in combat. And if you're looking to do tempo style shenanigans like that, you're probably just playing better. You're probably better playing, probably playing Murpho. but <laughs> but we're playing Merfolk, yeah. yeah. But for, for for people who liked playing ninjas or enjoy that style of deck, I mean, I certainly do. Moon Circuit Hacker has opened up a bunch of avenues for that in the early game to also in, incline choices like playing more dazes or playing more wastelands because now you can operate on your first two turns off of one blue source and then be able to use other resources for other things. So whether it's days or whether it's wasteland or whether it's finding a second source to play your, another, your enabler again. For me, this is a perfect number seven because it opens up a deck in a way that is very unique, even though it does, it, it uploads the density of more ninjas, but it's obviously not going to pick that deck up into tier one or anything. So it's solid at number seven, but in my mind, it's absolutely a winner from the set. Moon Circuit Hacker, spicing up your local, right? I will play ninjas and never get bored of it. The deck is yes. just, there's so many ways to build it. it it's just fantastic. All right. So then we can go to number six is Shurikai Genesis Engine. Once again, I remember us talking about it at first because the ability is very powerful when you activate it. it I mean, granted, you're paying five mana to get it but you get you go up a card plus a body so cool but like I, once again i'm gonna let you talk about this because i haven't seen yeah. this anywhere i've seen so, people speculate uh, on it but i haven't seen any success so again punishing waterfalls was playing this in in that actual same deck as as the search hacker but he's been playing this for a little bit longer and basically just playing in a days undoing deck as one of your win conditions it seems to be working really good and you can also play it in like a miracles deck because this is a card that presents a threat on the board that gets around wrath effects it's drawing you extra cards. It's feeding your graveyard. So if you're playing Snapcaster Mage and whatnot, really good. Seeing that this card's actually getting a little a, a little bit of play just proves to me that this is a great pickup anyhow. 
and just is a fun card to to put onto the battlefield. And the fact that it actually has like some ability to to see play in, in the format where it jumps above like Lion Sash and Moon Circuit Hacker, you can slot this into an already existing uh, metagame deck. Okay, so you're saying that like it's it's essentially it's shown up and it's done work, but it's kind of filling the same role as any payoff in those decks. Exactly. So we're finally seeing cards that are making it into uh, real decks at the number five, the number six through five spot. All right, so number five on the list is Iganjo, Seed of the Empire. Iganjo. I've heard people say Iganjo. I guess it can go either way. I, I pronounce it Iganjo or Aganjo. Uh, Ganjo. Okay. Uh, Ganjo. This is this has become like sort of a one of in a lot of decks that can just support it. One of in a lot of decks. I've seen it. I, I've seen it upwards of two of some TNT. It's I've seen it as a three of in that new black white humans deck. I mean, new black white humans deck. I mean, humans has been around. They're just like refining. Yeah, this is totally solid number five on this list. You have to, if, if there's a deck that you think might be playing a Ganjo, you do have to now think about it whenever you're attacking into open yeah. mana. No yeah, blocks. you're like, no blocks, no blocks. I'm good. Because this is a tar- four damage target attacking or blocking creature. So if you can yeah. sneak your opponent into like doing something dumb, like, or if you just swing in with all your guys that have three or more power, you can trade with a Grizzlebrand, right? Sure, you gain you gain seven life, but that your Grizzlebrand's dead now. You can't use it to draw cards. Blanket, heuristic, no blocks. Blanket, heuristic, no blocks. Blanket, heuristic, no blocks. Unless it's lethal, no blocks. This is the the ground floor as to what is like playable for these lands in Legacy. It, it doesn't affect your mana base that much. You're playing an 80-card deck, so you're like, ah, might as well throw one in there, right? And it just it makes your opponent have to play like draft smarts, right? Like yeah. you have to worry about combat tricks now. That's a whole, uh-huh. that's a whole like mental map that most legacy players aren't even messing with nobody expects to get like a giant growth hit on them uh when they're attacking into something or you know like that to me this is awesome card because you can just blow people out because they're not playing around draft tricks anytime you're choosing something over a basic land there is a way to get punished for that because wasteland exists yeah these lands in combination with mdfc lands from oh yeah call time if you look at younger formats mana bases outside of one color decks having any basics in them at all is surprising like we've we've reached the density in younger formats because there's no way to punish it that basic islands have just been obsoleted for the most part yeah because you have untapped lands like this that also do other things that cost you nothing like the first one in formats where you can't get punished for non-basics costs you actual nothing and then the second one only punishes you if you draw both i think like that design space with for for legacy at least it's fine because there's a way to punish it there's a there's a check for the younger formats it, it just seems like it's lazy design like it's just better than basic land uh, like aganjo no blocks just no blocks no Please blocks don't. yeah I, I i have run into this it, you only need to ever run your mentor and the monks into combat to get it to get your monastery mentor uh hit by an aganjo once before you never do it again yeah never don't don't fall under the trap. All right, number four, the Wandering Emperor. True or false? Did you did you think that this was going to show up as in the numbers that it has? No, it's crazy. Like I, I mean, dude, we missed on this one. I know, I know, we did. I I don't remember what we said, but we were just like, eh, 
whatever, like play Gideon instead, you know, yeah, but like I mean, this card is seeing like legit play. And I, I think it's just because it, it has flash yeah, being able I mean, to hold up mana and then be like, okay, at the end of your turn, I'll flash her in, you know, like, I think, I think that's, that's a big part of this card. It, it's the combination of flash, but it's also the combination that it's a four mana non-blue card. So the fact that it doesn't get hit by Pyroblast and then it's very difficult in Jeskai Mirrors for yeah. Prismatic Ending to hit it means that yeah, it's, four it's kind of in a sweet spot with where the removal is, that it matters. Being able to hold up mana and flashing it in is relevant only because it allows you two activations of it before your opponent gets to untap. Because you flash it in, you can activate it, and then you untap and you activate it again. Yeah. So getting two activations is really what, like, the abilities are fine. Like, the, obviously, the abilities are, are playable abilities. But I think it's it just threads this very narrow line of exactly what that sort of threat needs to be in order to exist in Legacy in the current environment. It's one of those things where I absolutely could see the second that the removal pivots or changes in any meaningful way, Wandering Emperor will be the first cut. But the yes. thing is, is that Prismatic Ending is here for the long haul. I don't see that moving going that away anytime soon. not going anywhere, no. And then Pyroblast, because of the bannings just pushing Narset and Teferi into this realm of Tier 1, that Pyroblast is just going to continue to be necessary, also because of all the, the, the Blue Red Delver. I guess Wandering Emperor is just going to be a, a go-to option as a one or two of for mm. a while, because I don't see that texture... That format check texture changing anytime soon. And at $25, man, uh, pick your copies Ooh, up now. It went up, man. <laughs> Way up. Is it like it 35 was, now? No, 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 no. It wasn't 25 when it was for, when it first released. It was like yeah, it was like ten dollars, maybe, $10, maybe yeah. ten dollars. Yeah, yeah. But then it, it's also been showing up a ton in modern and pioneer. So uh, with the OP announcement that happened recently, with those formats getting a little bit more love, obviously the blue white control players or the control players are just like picking up their copies because it's proven itself. It's very good. Yeah. All right. So then let's talk about Odawara. Soaring City. The thing we said about Aganjo <laughs> kind of fits for Odawara too. It's just that because it's blue, it just fits in a, a more homes. That's pretty much it. I mean, the fact that it, it's an uncounterable ability, like multiple times now, I've Odawara through a Teferi. It, it being able to go through, to play under a Teferi is a big game. For the most part, though, it's fulfilling the role that Iganjo is and that it's kind of just a free roll removal spell that you can play. It's just higher on the list because it has more homes because it's blue yeah, it's, than white. And, and not only does it have more homes, but it has more targets like Creature, target, Enchantment, it, it, Artifact, Planeswalker, all of those. That, it feels yeah. unfair. This card would be, would be played just fine if it just said creature. And it's not even close, like how good, how much better it is because it just has every one of those things. It's basically like what? Not, that's a non-land permanent, it's a right? It's, it's a non-land permanent, but it can get lands no. if it lands an artifact, right? Like, so right. You, you can bounce it can it bounce to the so it's it's non-land, but it doesn't have the non-land clause. Yeah, yeah it's just, and it can bounce an Urza Saga even better. You can bounce your own Urza Saga if you're playing eight. Trigger cast. on the stack. Trigger on the stack, bounce by Urza Saga, replay Urza Saga, yeah. Yeah. This so I mean, obviously this card sees play in, in eight cast. And it does well there as like a two of. This card is, I don't know why this card isn't $20, $25 card. And the next card on the list is is more expensive than that, honestly. Odawara is a role player as opposed to, I mean, we can just dive into the next card. Yeah, the next, the card, next card is Besaju, who endures. So yeah, yeah, why is this Why is this so much more expensive than Odawara? Which, to, in my in my opinion, Legacy is a blue format. You should be playing Odawara if you can. For, it's four mana. At best, it's probably yeah. three mana. Only the the eight cast deck with a Cyan and Emery on the Cyan table, Emery, yeah, is two mana. Could get it yeah. down to two mana. There's no deck in the format that's going to get it down to one mana. If you get it down yeah, to two yeah. mana, that's that's already fine. But like your board is already developed and it, it becomes a disperse. It, it's obviously it's good. It's uncounterable, right? Like Odawara is obviously good. Baseju being two mana, which is a rate that you'd pay for a disenchant anyway, exactly, and it's yeah. uncounterable. 
and it's in the color that wants it, and it fulfills the role of solving a bunch of problems that decks want that to want it have. With. Yeah, that, that yeah. decks that want to play this have a couple of problem cards that they need to be able to deal with, right. and this card is that is the answer to the, those problems, and right? I I think that's what it is. Like Odawara is a role player. It didn't solve a, an issue that was hindering any decks prior yeah. to its existence. If you slam Whereas, a Blood Moon against eight cast, they're going to be like. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. It's like, okay, like I can't play Urza Saga, but like, how yeah. about I just make a bunch of doctors? Yeah. Whereas if you're playing 12 post, if you're playing lands, if you're playing the new uh, mana bond deck, you're, if you're playing four color control and want to be able to get uh, through a blood moon and have access to something like this, because it's uncounterable and because it's a land. So it has a bunch of synergies with like loam and once upon a time it can be found yep. off. Of. It, it solves the problem of the hate against those decks Oh. Which means that it, it's just that's something that those decks wanted anyway, and so the fact that this does it in such a tight bow, it's it's be, because it's only two mana, and because it's it's an untapped green source, it, it just fulfills all of these things that those decks already want, desperately wanted. All right, so, all right, I'll 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 accept your I'll accept your. That's why it's more expensive. Why is Notoire slightly more expensive? At least half the cost of this card. It's like yeah, seven, it, eight dollars right now. I mean, Beseju allowing them to get a land is way better in the decks looking to answer a hammer yeah. than it is with Odorara, which is kind of being able to bake a removal spell into your mana base. You know, it's like like maybe you can play it in show and tell, and it's like it, it serves as like a function of Beseju and show and tell if you're not playing green, yeah. but. They're, they're, you're not thinking when you put Odawara into your deck, it's like, I'm playing Odawara because I need to answer X. Whereas Beseju, it's like, I'm playing Beseju because I need to I need to hit Blood Moon. I need to hit Back to Basics. I need to hit uh, any of these, any of the permanent hate. I, I, I need to be able to clear those things off the table. Even catching uh, an opposing Thespian stage off of, uh, to, to stop a Merit Lage activation, and it's uncounterable. Uh, removing a Chalice or a Trinisphere. Those things all matter for the, for the decks that want to be able to play Beseju, whereas Odawara doesn't have that same necessity. Even though Beseju is a high winner on our list, it's way cooler than what people thought it was coming in. Like everybody thought that when it was first spoiled, everybody lost their minds. I mean, so did we. It, it did not fulfill the hype, yeah. but it, it still works. It did, still works very well. It didn't reach the hype, but that's also because the hype was insane. The hype was, you know? the hype was, the hype was hype. It, it, it is absolutely proven <laughs> we had itself hype for as the like, hype, right? Yeah. It's proven itself as a legacy playable that will be yeah. around forever, but it just didn't reach the hype as like this, you know, the, here goes the, the end of all enchantments and artifacts for the rest of forever. It didn't reach that hype, but uh, it's still, is it too expensive? Yeah, I think it's too expensive. But the thing is that it's also in every single EDH deck and that's what's driving prices. So yes, this is true. We're, he we're here. We're at number one, Phil. And number one is Kappa Cannoneer. Pretty obvious, right? Yeah, pretty, pretty obvious. obvious. Like, Come on. I mean, this, this, cra it, this, this basically created an entire deck. Right? Like it, it, this, this well, card launched launched at least into tier one an entire deck. So the combination of Thought Monitor and Urza's Mon uh, and Urza Saga coming out on MH2 is what made uh it cast a deck. It cast a deck, but this launched but, it into into the so, uh tier one of, of yeah, those decks. Kappa Cannoneer gave it a whole other axis. Now instead of being able to go wide, it got to drop the uh echo LED part of the deck, which yeah. and, and get rid of the hole breachers, which didn't work with anything else really. Uh it just like was more card draw, but you already you already did well on that access. You can, yeah, casts. you're already drawing plenty of cards. So having a, a, just a gigantic beater that can close the game and that's really tough to interact with. This War 4 breeds hexproof. Like, as War far as, like, 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 oof. And this card is functionally the marriage between Hogak and TNN. 
Yeah, this okay. is what we were saying before. Yeah, uh, is is this? Yeah, this card it reads like hexproof or time walk. Because what's going to happen is your opponent's going to pay five mana to sword your cre- to swords this thing, and you're going to be like counterspell. I'll just force and pull that. Yeah, and you're going to keep playing magic. They wasted five mana, right? It's, they probably it's, played it's, on like turn three, and now they've got a six six that's unblockable, like true name nemesis, right? That's unblockable, slamming it against you. It's just so so goddamn good, man. It's extremely good. It's it's at most going to be a two turn clock unless you're gaining some amount of relevant life. But when I, I so I there was one tournament that I played where I played Hogak and I had a Hogak against their Kappa Cannoneer and I recognized in that moment that I was like, oh, they both have pseudo evasion in Trample versus Unblockable, mm-hmm. and then uh, they're both gigantic undercosted beaters like Kappa Cannoneer's one mana, Hogak is no mana, but the difference is that Hogak still has to care about Caracas and removal spells, whereas Kappa just doesn't. It just yeah. doesn't have to at all. Doesn't have it's to just better. care about spells or abilities. Like, this doesn't even get around your opponent's uh, Odawara Soaring City, right? Like, and it, it doesn't get around Besage you, you know? Like, it's it, just way better. Ward 4 is bonkers. Ward is insanity. Uh, I, love, is I, love Ward, I love Ward as an ability over, like, Hexproof, because Hexproof feels very boring to me. And also, like, right. you don't get to do, do tricks like your opponent's like, oh, I guess I will swords it. And you're like, counter it. Your opponent's just like, I'll sword your other guy. You know, yeah, in time, yeah, exactly. saving the mana. The fact that you can put your opponent in a position where he spends five mana in a turn because he's going to die to Kappa Cannoneer in like a couple of turns, and then you stop that from happening because he's wasted all his mana and can't follow it up with another counterspell. Ward is almost better in that scenario than, than Hexproof is because they can't spend that mana on anything else. It's it, bonkers. It's bonkers. This it, card is bonkers, guys. This card is bonkers, guys. Not only is it easily the winner of the set, even though it's not in the Easy. main set, it's in the commander product. It's the, it's the one that has propelled eight cast into tier one. The deck is incredibly hard to play against because it has access to eight force of wills as well. This giving it a whole other access to be able to close games a lot faster. You go into a major event and you're not prepared to deal with Kappa Cannoneer, you're likely to lose to it. And you also just bought into the deck, right? Yeah, I just, I I, I said screw it and I bought into the deck. So uh, hopefully uh, Wizards of the Coast does not ban Urza Saga in the next couple of months. So I can grind my value out with this deck, but uh, yeah, I finally have a second legacy deck uh, that I can that I can play. Now I've so, got Death Shadow with Berserk, and I've got Eight Cast. So I finally so again have another Tier One deck. When you sit across the table from Zach at an event, you know, bring your Pyroblast. Make sure yeah. that you got your, your Seeds of Innocence ready to go. It's real simple, guys. Here's here's how you know. Here's how you know. I'm going to show you real real quick. This one is Death Shadow. Wow. Wow. Look at the, your, the insider information. <laughs> this the, one is only guess. You got you to gotta watch, watch the YouTube video to be able yep. to see the Yeah, you'll never, you'll never know otherwise. You can't right? hear it. Yeah. You can't, you can't hear it. You got you to gotta see it. Anyhow, uh, I think that does it for us. Real quick, I want to uh, thank the Patreon supporters. Yeah, you guys, you guys have been re- really great uh, helping us out with some cool, cool ideas for episodes, some deck techs and stuff. Uh, we've got another deck tech coming in real soon. I think I think I might even get a local local Maverick. Well, Maverick isn't the word because that's a deck. Local burn player, burn burn Maverick is what I was going to say. Eric Higby on to do burn, so that'll be a real fun episode. So, uh, so, so, so a, a burn connoisseur, not a yeah. not a burn Maverick player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're Maverick, not a burn Maverick, Maverick, player. Maverick in the way that like you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, John like, McCain is a Maverick. Yeah. 
yeah. somebody's like, yeah, you know, you sleeve up, you sleeve up your exalted creatures and and burn, obviously. Yeah. No. Uh. Yeah. La- no. La- lava spike plus the cat or whatever that. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have uh, a, a burn a burn clinic pretty soon. Uh, I've got a couple other deck ideas that I want to do, including Merfolk. We'll eventually get Phil to do Miracles. Miracles, yeah. yeah. I got to do Miracles. I got to do Miracles just so that I, I want to be able to take you all the way through the different instances of Miracles to where it has evolved to now, yeah. which there isn't really a Miracles deck now. It's like a combination of like some people who it's evolved into like four color, but then also sort of evolved into like Jeskai Days and doing. But the thing is, is that one is a mid-range tap out deck and the other one is a prison combo deck and neither of them are really control decks. So it's like, I don't know, I'll get into it. Yeah. It, it. It's coming sometime in the future. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and you'll be able to check it out when it comes in. Anyhow, that does it for the cast. Thanks everybody for listening. If you want to support us, it's patreon.com slash eternal dirtles. You can read it right there. Come on. Thanks so much. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. Boom. Gacky, gack, gack. Stitcher supplier is milling over three. Oh, good. Gacky, gack, gack. Sacrifice it to cabal therapy. Gak, gak, gak. You know who's delving graveyards? None other. So can both them creatures then? No mana spent. Sup, Delver? Gas gak on the stack. Gonna trample shit up. 8-8, eight, eight, don't play. True name shit out of luck. Van Hammer, did I stammer? R&D done slipped up. We legacy in this necropolis is running amok. Black creatures, new features, straight up casting the gak. Convoking shit spoken as a matter of fact. Your Karaka stops his nonsense in this moment for show. But this gak and still gonna happen, your life totals no more. Opponent shrugging, they got nothing and conceding the game. It would serve y'all well to remember the name. Oh gak, he attacked, coming back for some more. This format shakeup isn't ready to get gak to the floor. What you doing? Stop the brewing and start casting the gak. In the red zone, they all tremble cause they gonna get smacked. Oh by the way, I got supplier and this hasty bug gas. Time to slip, check the box, go enjoy some shake shack. Yeah.